You're listening to ReachMDXM233, the channel for medical professionals. In the face of national disaster, we all respond in different ways. Many become fixated to the media response. Some chose to remain home-based and they avoid travel. Others want to help, but they don't think they can help or they don't know where to begin. Let's hear what it was like for one physician who chose to make a difference after 9-11. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. Mark Plaster. Dr. Plaster is a regular guy, an ED doc at Harbor Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland, who created and published an ED journal, Emergency Physicians Monthly, that is the number one free journal and the most widely read free journal for emergency medicine physicians today. Thanks for taking the time to be with us today, Mark. That's a pleasure, Shira. Okay, first of all, tell us what it was like. What was the political climate when you first enlisted? Actually, I didn't respond to 9-11. It's kind of one of those quirks of history. My son was actually in the United States Naval Academy at the time, and I was kind of impressed by the kind of young men and women that were coming to our house from the Naval Academy, and I'd always sort of wanted to be a part of this whole scene, and I decided that if someday uh, somebody was going to be taking care of my son, it would be just part of my responsibility to, to maybe take care of somebody else's. So I joined the reserve. I spoke to a recruiter about being commissioned. It's not being enlisting. That's a different branch, but you're not enlisted, you're commissioned. And I, I spoke to a recruiter about being commissioned in the United States Navy, and surprisingly, because of my age, they took me. And only after I actually was in process to become a commissioned officer did 9-11 happen. And that's when it was pretty clear that this was going to be more than just a weekend, a month, and you know, two weeks in the summer, which is really and truly, I have to be honest, kind of what I thought it was going to be when we first started. And as soon as the, the towers fell, then everything changed. You know, America changed. Certainly my life changed dramatically. I, I can recall sitting there watching the towers come down and saying to my wife, you know, this is going to impact us directly, and, and it did, because within a few months' time, they were talking about sending troops over, and, and we knew that uh, they were going to be calling up reservists, and it was going to be time to put up or shut up, and I decided to put up. I volunteered and uh, went over with the 4th Medical Battalion that got mobilized in late winter of '03 as the conflict was just gearing up. Most people think of the military as a young person's gig, but many physicians are in the military, particularly the reserves, and they're older. So what was that like? That was a real surprise to me because obviously my son was the average age of an officer, and uh, I thought that I was going to be, you know, the old man in the crowd. And it turned out that when I became a commissioned officer in the medical corps, that was a totally different story, particularly reserves. I found that there were a number of men and women who had joined the military reserves after training and after having been in practice quite some time. When I was serving in Iraq, I was actually serving with the chief of the trauma service at Oregon State and people who who were in their 50s. And these were people who had 20-plus years of experience in the specialty that they were practicing in. And, and I found that to be true time and again. I was recently on exercise in Ukraine. And I was pleasantly surprised that to find that I was deployed with one of the top pediatric gastroenterologists in the country as well as one of the top cardiologists in the country. So I thought that I was unusual. I wasn't. <laughs> You're called from all walks of medical life. Yeah, absolutely. And I found that some people that had some of the best training in the world, this cardiologist, Dr. Charles Brown from Santa Barbara, California, you know, trained at Harvard and is, uh, has a very comfortable practice in in Santa Barbara, and yet he's volunteering his time with the Marine Corps and Dr. Fortunato out of uh, North Carolina. 
as a national expert, and, and here he's spending time sleeping on the ground with the Marines just like I was. And what about the process? What were some of the commitments and the responsibilities behind that training? To get into the reserves, you know, you have all the various paperwork issues, and you have to be able to pass the physical exam. You have to be healthy, that sort of thing. The process was, was pretty straightforward. It, it was not, not even as complicated as credentialing at most hospitals. You just fill out a lot of forms. Once it passes up through the chain of command, actually, I believe that it has to go through Congress. I'm not 100% sure, but I think it, it goes fairly high, certainly to the Secretary of the Navy, to be signed off on. And once, once that's done, then uh, they come back and, and you take an oath of allegiance to the United States and you're commissioned. And then off you go to, in my case, now this is not all the case for everybody, but in my case, I went off to what's called direct commission officer training or DCO school in the Navy. That's down in Pensacola, Florida. And it's lovingly called knife and fork school because it's so short and so tailored to the middle-aged officer that they do take it easy on us, that's for sure. We qualify with a pistol, we jump off a swim tower and do the third-class swim qualification, but other than that, there's not much time to really teach us how to be military experts. Doesn't sound like a shortcut to me. And if you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, and I'm very fortunate to be speaking today with Dr. Mark Plaster, an ED physician who practices in Baltimore, Maryland, and we're discussing what it's like to be a physician-citizen-soldier, a proud reservist in the U.S. Marine Corps. Now, for older physicians, would any of us be crazy enough to do this, and would they take any of us today? Who should consider this, or who would you say should go? Generally speaking, I think they're looking for physicians, certainly in their 30s that are 30s, and I think that the age for coming into the service is probably 35, maybe 40. In my case, they waived the age they waived the age requirement simply because I had 20 years of experience in trauma and had been in emergency medicine my entire career. And certainly if there is a need in certain, certain types of specialties, they're going to be more inclined to you know, waive the age requirement. If you have a specialty that's not so necessary to the military, then that's less likely. Well, they had a PDGI guy out there, right? It's a little misleading. He had five years of surgical training before he went into to pediatrics and then before he went and did pediatric GI. So he actually had 11 years of postgraduate training. He was one of the most educated guys I'd ever seen in the military. But he, he was a surgeon first. So that's what attracted him to them, to the military. Now, if you're recruited and you go in, what's your responsibilities like on a, a weekly or a monthly basis during the year? That's a good question. Everybody wants to know how that works. Reservists drill one weekend a month, 11 months out of the, out of the year. And a drill, basically, it, you'll go to the drill center that you're assigned to and perform whatever tasks are necessary to support that unit. Now, it may involve something as simple as physical exams for the Navy Marine Corps personnel who are there, it could be actual training on the what we call the platform, the, the facility that you work in if you were to be deployed. For instance, since I'm in a shock trauma platoon, sometimes we will actually train our corpsmen and other people that would be working with us using the equipment that we would, we would do if we were in the field. Sometimes there are weekend training exercises where we go camping, in, in essence, with that gear. It sounds, we're not going to the state park and and roasting hot dogs, but it's an opportunity to actually, you know, sort of war game the platform on which you would work. Sometimes we go down and we, you know, qualify with weapons, and other times it's just a variety of different things that you would do during that, that drill weekend. 
And then during the summertime, or it doesn't always work out to be summertime, but we think of it in this way, there's a two-week annual training event, and that's where you put it all together and go do something, uh, again, in either supporting your unit or supporting another another unit. I think I mentioned to you before that I'd gone to Ukraine, and that was a NATO exercise, and it was a live fire exercise where they're actually firing weapons and mortars and rockets and a variety of other things where people could get hurt. And so they had to plan for medical care, evacuation, that sort of thing. And, and so we spent two weeks standing by prepared to do that. Can you tell us a little more about some of the experiences you had in the military that you wouldn't have had otherwise? How many middle-aged uh, doctors can say they've fired a grenade launcher or have uh, ridden in an amphibious assault vehicle in summer training over in Ukraine? I had the opportunity to actually perform a mock amphibious assault. I was in a, a vehicle that came out of a, a ship and motored to shore, and there was people firing blank weapons, and it was as close to saving Private Ryan as I ever hoped to get. And I'll be honest with you, it gave me a real insight on what that whole experience would be about. And seeing our young men and women in that role just is awe-inspiring. It tells you a lot about you know yourself and what is the price of freedom. So I don't think if I hadn't done the reserves, I'd ever have a chance to to see this side of life, and I'm really thankful for it. Did you ever have days when you doubted what you were doing, or there wasn't time for that? Oh, yeah. It's a lot of work. Your schedule is full, and you look down and you think, I don't have time to go to drill, and and you have to make time, or summer training is tough. I mean, I lost 15 pounds on this last trip to Ukraine because we were in the field. It was 110 or 15 degrees. I I, was eating MREs, which is those packable foods that they, they give the Marines, so yeah, there was a lot of time in, the la- in that exercise that I would rather have been home sailing or sitting out on the porch or, you know, drinking a, uh, a Merlot with my wife in the evening rather than being in a tent. So if a physician is listening to this and he or she is pulled with even part of their consciousness and they want to do this or they want to know more about it and get involved, what would you tell them today, Mark? I would tell them that it was the experience of a lifetime, that if they're healthy and they are motivated to give something back to the country that they would probably never regret it. And if they are actually interested in just talking more about it, they could even contact me at erdocmark, E-R-D-O-C-M-A-R-K, at AOL.com. I want to thank Dr. Mark Plaster, who's been our guest, and we've been discussing the role and the experiences of a physician, citizen, soldier in the U.S. Marine Corps. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions on this or any segment, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening.